To win the pipes, we have George Stetson with a record of 24-1 with a 9.23 save percentage and a 1.69 GAA. And across from him, we have Adam Blumenshine, who also has a record of 23-1, but he has a GAA of 2.02 and a 91.8% save percentage. They're the ones going at it today between the pipes. Welcome back to another edition of Between the Pipes. We are now broadcasting on Google uh, Podcast, Spotify, Anchor, Overcast, and Pocket Cast. What's Podcast? I don't know. But anyways, Adam, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing good. How are you doing, George? Same shit, different day. Um, this is a special edition recording. Um, why? We can't tell you, but this is a special edition. Why? Because it's special. Um, so... Well, how's your uh, Call of Duty stuff been going on, bud? Oh, I've been gaming hard, you know, trying to stay busy. Trying to stay busy. You do know there's a gym right on the other side of the barracks you go yeah, out here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I heard about that place. You, you don't know what a gym is, do you? I've, I've heard of them. I've, I've I know, you're a farm boy. You, you're used to slinging bales of hay. Yeah, I don't need no gym. You don't need a gym? Shit, I do. Anyways, let's get right on into it. This week's two minutes for hooking. We're going to get into the AFC South, starting with the Jaguars. Followed up by the Colts, Titans, and Texans. Reverse order from worst to first. And we're going to talk about Brandon Lipstick. Uh, apparently he was fat shaming women. That's not cool. I don't know the story, but we're going to figure it out for you. And baseball has a tentative agreement to start in July with an 82-game season. And breaking, the NBA just put out that, I don't know, I'm not sure it was the NBA or who it was, but uh, I know ESPN for sure reported it. That the NBA Players Association has been taking votes from certain players whether or not to resume season, and it seems like most of the superstars are in favor of that. Adam, you you surprised by this? No, I fully imagine the players are antsy and ready to get back at it. So exactly expected this. Like I said on last week's episode, the National Hockey League starting to turn. Um, They're the ones who seemingly wanted to start going back and. They're, they don't have a tentative date set up yet, but they have an idea when they want to start. And it looks like all of the other sports going through are following suit. However, basketball doesn't have an official restart date. That's right. So we'll figure that one out here shortly. But that's your two-minute stroke. So, Adam, our first thing up, we're going to talk about the Washington Capitals cutting ties of Brendan Leipzig after his ugly comments about uh, not only you know the appearances of two hockey players' lives, but then he was making fun of two lines mates at the deal, along with the conversation that had involved his brother and a minor leaguer, Jack Roadwald, in a private group chat that was on uh, Twitter or Instagram. Uh, it just says here, social media. Um, Leipzig apologizes for saying everything he did. Yeah, it says that his Instagram account was hacked, and he is taking responsibility for his comments. Now, let's get into it here. All right, first of all, you don't talk about another man's wife. Yeah. His wife, his mom, family, none of that. And for him to make fun of the parents, I don't know what all was said, but he was talking bad about uh, forward Tanner Pearson, his wife, and Edmund Capital, Edmonton's captain, Connor David's girlfriend. All right, that's uh, that's pretty jacked up. And then to top it off, like we said, he was talking about his two teammates, Gardner Hathaway and Nick Dowd. He's calling them losers. You know, uh, what do you feel about this? Um, I mean – Obviously, we saw the Capitals uh, waived him yeah. uh, because of these comments. I think that was the right thing to do. Um, sending a message, really, because, I mean, for someone to go out and uh, – I mean, it, it's one thing to think those things, but when you, when you put it out there, um, granted, he didn't post it, but, you know, he didn't 
try to hide it per se. You know what I mean? You put it in a group chat that obviously you thought no one would ever find, but mm-hmm. um, to be saying that to another person um, about you know their wives, teammates, yeah. all that stuff. I mean, that's just not the right way to go. About no, it. it's it's never. It's very unclassy. I mean, he he was struggling this year, anyways. He only had uh, what was it, three goals in sixty-one games or something of that nature. So I can understand, you know, he, he may have been frustrated this team, uh, the, but to say, yeah, um, excuse me, three goals and eight assists in 61 games to get back to his stats. So, but it's not an excuse to talk about your team, not an excuse to talk about another man's wife or girlfriend or anything of that nature. And some of the repercussions here was his younger brother got kicked off the Manitoba Bisons team. Or yeah, the University of Manitoba Bisons kicked Leipzig's brother off. All right, and then uh, Rodwell played in the American Hockey League, so yeah, I think I, he was on the uh, Florida Panthers farm team. Yeah, so I don't, I didn't see any repercussions on him, but that's not cool. Uh, it's it's very jacked up, inappropriate. Uh, I'm all for it. I'm all for keeping the the civility and you know not not talking bad about another man's wife or girlfriend or anybody of that nature because it's just messed up. All right, and it's not cool. Um, just don't don't talk about it. Keep your comments to yourself, and you know that what you put on the internet is out there, and it will find a way to surface. Whatever you think you put that embarrassing photo online in your MySpace 15 years ago, guess what? You could probably find it. Right? Even Brad Paisley even has a song called The Internet Is Forever, and it's about all the embarrassing things people do on the internet. This is a perfect example. They ain't got nothing nice to say. Don't say nothing at all. Or sit in the corner and just talk to me about it. That way, there's no social media involvement. Boom. Got it. Then we just found an article here uh, that was posted, uh, what, three hours ago that says that the NBA is currently pursuing an idea to come back with the season as well. Um, several star players from the president's – or not the president's – the players union, including President Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, and Jason Tatum – held a phone conference today to discuss the strategy to resume the season. This is according to The Athletic. Um, there's a handful of players, we call them superstars, you know, Giannis, LeBron, Steph, they're all for it, um, which is pretty cool. They're trying to follow the same suit as what we'll discuss here in a minute, Major League Baseball, and what hockey has been discussing. Yeah, there's still a lot of unknowns for all three of the sports they're trying to resume. But with that all being said, um, the season might not restart until June is what they're saying. And along with that, the players have already agreed to cut their salaries by 25% to help kick off the season again um, because they're not going to be sure of how many games that they're going to miss out on. So obviously the players are paid by the, the number of games they are played. So if they're going to miss out on a certain number of games, those players have already agreed to put 25% of that pay away for anything that might be lost throughout the season, but if they don't miss out on any games, then those players will still be given that money back, according to this. The funds will be held in an escrow until the league determines how many games are lost. So, how do you feel about this, Adam? With the, uh, I, it seems like the big three are now all trying to find a way to come back and play. Yeah, I like it. Um, I think we need sports to return. I mean, someone's going to have to, uh, you know, pull the, pull the trigger and do it. You know, one of these leagues... It's going to have to make the first step, whether it's hockey, baseball, NBA. Someone's going to have to come out and say a set date to return with a set um, plan in place of how many games, what the season's going to look like, yada, yada. You know, someone's going to have to pull that trigger. 
Yeah, and from the, the look of it, hockey hasn't confirmed it yet, but I think they're going to be the first ones to pull the trigger. Uh, baseball has an actual proposition in play to start their season in July to go reducing everything to an 82-game season, but they're not entirely sure uh, the demographics by that is are they going to consolidate it to just a couple arenas or stadiums like hockey plans on doing and apparently uh, basketball wants to do too. They haven't come up with what arenas are going to play for. Uh, it's still going to be fanless as of right now. And I'm all for it, man. I'm pretty, like we said in our last conversation, they talked about bringing baseball back, but we weren't sure what was going to happen. Now they've got you know, the whole 82 game thing laid out and they, they have a little bit of a basis. And apparently June will be the starting time for another mini camp. Yeah, that's what I heard too. And I don't know. I'm just anxious. I'm excited. I want to. I miss sports. I want to watch some sports. I don't care what it is. So someone just pulled that trigger. Exactly. We. I mean, it's going to be something for us to do while we're overseas, right? We won't be able to watch these sports per se because of the time zones difference. But we can still pull it up on Google and see what our favorite teams did. And it's it's a camaraderie. If I, you know, if I do say so, it's a common ground where everybody. We all talk crap about to each other about our favorite sports or, you know, I'm over here with people who are Bengals fans, cough, cough, wank, wank. Actually, Jason, not you. And he's going around saying that the Bengals are going to go like 12 and 4. He's coming up with these ridiculous numbers. And you know what? He's allowed to believe that. But us as realists know it's not going to happen. You even said it. I said it. But it, we would love to see our teams be successful, you know? Absolutely. But that's that brings us all together. We, we crap talk each other. We make fun of each other. We poke fun. But it's all in good faith, and it's a common ground. So we want sports to come back. Um, so that's that's the two big new topics right now is Brandon Lipsticks being stupid or leaps in the conversation. It doesn't matter. He's stupid. Um, and then you got possibilities of the MLB, NBA, and NHL all coming back. Right now, they're basically taking a vote. And as of now, there's there's a lot more yeses than noes. We don't have a total number yet because this article just came out a couple hours ago. But hopefully, that's going to be our – what's that guy? You just got to start stirring the pot, don't you? Hey, I'm – You got this drink from Sonic. He's all excited. Yeah, I don't even know what the hell it is. You said it's a blue ocean Ocean water. Ocean water. Last time I drank ocean water, it was really salty and listen, good. listen, you take a sip of this and you might as well be chilling at the beach, just relaxing. Bro, we're about to be at 110 degrees listen, with dry listen, heat. Y'all hear this? That's called deliciousness. Uh, apparently that's called deliciousness, folks. Check it out. Sonic, we all know Sonic. If you don't know Sonic, you're probably a communist. Especially the footlong coney. Ooh, that's a Uh-huh. I'm at. Anyways, get back on topic. <clears throat> Uh, but yeah, so that's what's going on basically, and uh, I totally lost my train of thought right there. But you know what? It's all good, folks, because we're about to start talking football again. On to the Jaguars. All right, we're going to dive into the AFC South today. We're going to start with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Their quarterback for the majority of this year was Gardner Minshew. Um, he threw for 3,271 yards and 21 touchdowns with only six interceptions. Um, they're supposed to be starter at quarterback was Nick Foles. Um, he got injured early on, only threw for 736 yards and three touchdowns. Um, but he has since been traded to the Bears, so it is Gardner Minshew's team here. Uh, what do you think about that kid? You know what? He is something special. And I don't mean that in his statistics. I mean him as a person. 
uh, what was it? Uncle Rico was like the person that they said he looked most like, or something like that. Yeah, he does. Yeah, Uncle Rico. And then when he, he was at Washington's quarterback at one point, Washington State. Washington State. Okay. And they do like warm up in his jockstrap and walk around the uh, walk around the locker room. Like that dude is the man, the myth, the badass. Right. Like, you know, it's one of those things. He was definitely somebody that no one expected to take the reins for down there and do as well as he did. For him being a six-round pick, I believe. Yeah, six or seven, I'm not sure. But I know he was taken just um, as a developmental project to be a backup. And here we go, starting quarterback. He took over. Now, doesn't mean he's going to blow up and and turn into the next Tom Brady, the late pick that wins everything. No. But the fact is that he had swagger. He's got the charisma. He's got the work ethic. He didn't just come in as a backup and sit around and, well, I'm just going to be a backup quarterback and that's all I'm going to be. It was my starter went down. I got put in the work, and he's he shows up to work. Yeah, he definitely did. He's a blue collar guy, in my opinion. He, he doesn't feel like anything's handed to him. No sense of entitlement. He went out there and he put in the work. He did. He did. Now, if we look at the running back, Leonard Fournette, he rushed for eleven hundred and fifty-two yards with only three touchdowns, which is really surprising to me. He was. They only had three rushing touchdowns all year. Yeah, that that shocks me. The day either says they didn't get very many red zone opportunities to run the ball. Or, you know, the couple opportunities they did have um, were, you know, were passing touchdowns. Yeah, and I, I don't know if that was just less faith in Fournette or the situations just never presented itself or Fournette was having a down year or what. I mean, I mean, who he, really knows? I'm assuming that one of his touchdowns was from the 81-yarder he had. Yeah. So he was able to score from the distance. But, you know, was he not just getting – Getting enough touches. I mean, he had uh, 265 carries, so you know that's a little bit on the lower side for for some running backs. Usually, they're up in the the high 200s, if I'm not mistaken. But so you know, it looks to me like they they had a lot of passes as well um, or, or attempts. But it, it could be a whole slew of things why he wasn't getting it. Was just were they not running the ball a lot in the red zone? I mean, he's a power back too, so you would think that hey. Let's hand it off to our guy and let him put in the work. Right. Yeah, and I mean, it's interesting. You look at the receiving stats. He was actually their re- leading reception getter with 76, but only had 522 yards, whereas uh, DJ Chark had 73 receptions for 1,008 yards with eight touchdowns. Yeah. Leonard Fournette not getting a single receiving touchdown. So he was used in the passing game a lot, um, but he didn't really amount to much. I mean, 6.9 yards per reception, that's still pretty good. Yeah. Um, but no touchdowns, so he wasn't a red zone receiving threat. Um, so it's, I, I mean, it's almost like they got in the red zone and kind of forgot about him. Yeah, I mean, they're, we're, you know, me, Cleveland Browns fan, we've seen that happen a lot with our running game in the past, especially, you know, Nick Chubb is an animal, and the dude doesn't get used to it properly. Or, you know, the, the same thing in uh, the Super Bowl when they should have handed the ball off to uh, Marshawn Lynch instead they throw the ball off Right, you know, when you have a power back who's that good, let the man get the ball. Exactly. But I don't know. That, we're not the coaches. They, maybe there was something going on that we didn't know about. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Now you go down and look at their defensive stats. Um, their leading tackler was Gerard Wilson with seventy nine, and second leading tackler was Ronnie Harrison with seventy one. That tells you a lot, right there. Not a single one of the players had over 100 stops. Yeah. They, from between combined or uh, total or solo, there there weren't that many – there wasn't that many um, tackles at all. 
yeah. 79. That, that's abysmal. It is. It, it, that should be like your, your third third or fourth guy. Yeah, you should, you should at least have a linebacker in the hundreds, you know, the upper maybe 30s, 140s, all right, and you should have another guy in the low hundreds, and then you start breaking down into, you know, your – Double-digit numbers, you know, your 80s and 70s and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, we discussed that with the um, the Ravens and you know how they were a little bit lacking this offseason, this, this season as well, and they addressed that in the offseason. Right, and then you look like uh, Josh Allen, uh, rookie out of Kentucky, had ten and a half sacks, so that was a pretty decent year for him. Oh yeah, that's that's nice. Anytime you're rookie, you get double-digit sacks. That's a pretty good campaign. Yep, and uh, their leading interception getter was Trey. Uh, Herndon, he had three. Um, that's, yeah, it's pretty abysmal too when you think about it. I mean, considering we talked about it, uh, you know, uh, Joe Schobert for the Browns last season had three interceptions in two games. You know, he had five totals. So you have a linebacker getting more interceptions than some DBs or safeties. Mm-hmm. You know, they're getting caught out of position. Right. Uh, and that's something they have to address. It is. Uh, I mean, we'll talk about what they did in the offseason now. All right, in the draft, they picked, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 12 guys. So they had a, a big draft. They had two first-round picks. With the first pick, they took a corner, C.J. Henderson out of Florida. And their second first-round pick, they took uh, Clavon Chason, uh, edge rusher out of LSU. Um, so someone to put beside, on the other opposite side of uh, Josh Allen to pressure the quarterback, definitely some help there, a corner, to help lock down uh, the side, other than uh, AJ Boye, yeah, um, and you know that's what we were talking about was they didn't have very many interceptions. So you know to get a corner to help out and a linebacker, those are two big uh, needs in the offseason, and they did address in the draft. Mm-hmm. Then they took wide receiver Lavisca Chanel out of Colorado uh, in the second round, so another weapon for uh, Gardner Minshew. Then they took. Uh, Devon Hamilton, a defensive tackle out of Ohio State. Um, the Ohio State University. No, obviously, we watched him more than these other players on here. I really like that pick. Um, he's going to fill some holes, plug some gaps. He's a really good uh, run defender. Um, then they went offensive tackle. Uh, another cornerback, uh, Josiah Scott out of Michigan State. Uh, they got uh, Shaquille Quarterman, a linebacker out of Miami. Um, and then on from there, just some lower uh, tier players that can use some development. But uh, in the fifth round, they took Colin Johnson out of Texas. He's a really big receiver. Um, uh, go up and get her. You know, he's not going to burn anyone downfield, but he's going to win a lot of those 50-50 balls downfield. So that was a good pick there. And then they got uh, uh, Jake Lutton, a quarterback out of Oregon State, someone I imagine they're going to try and develop into B. Gardner Minshew's backup. Well, what I'm looking at here to this offseason moves, especially through the draft at least, they seemingly addressed a lot of their issues. They got the linebacker, they got the cornerbacks, they got some alternate receivers to help out. Like you know, you just said they got the big, uh, the big receiver from Texas, and you know another one. They got a safety out of Auburn, so they're making the moves that they need to help put together that defense again. Because um, that seemed to be a very big issue this year. Was like we had said, no 100 plus tackle linebacker or corner. You know, so that's a, or not really corner defensive back as in safeties. That is something that strikes me very, very odd, you know. So, just in the draft, they made some pretty big moves. Uh, we're not really going to worry about their signings yet because there's still things going on in the offseason for trades and signings and things of that nature. Because as far as I'm concerned, the um, new league year has started. 
but there's still a lot of things just kind of floating around that we're not going to talk about because we know how things change very abruptly in the NFL. Yep. Now we're going to move on to the Indianapolis Colts. All right, as we take a look at the Indianapolis Colts, their quarterback this year was Jacoby Brissett. He threw for 2,942 yards and 18 touchdowns uh, with six interceptions. Um, so not a terrible year, not a great year. Um, Jacoby yeah. Brissett's was not saying. the quarterback, uh, not the starting quarterback for them yet, um, at least at the highest potential. Yeah. If you get what I'm trying to say there, he he's definitely a serviceable quarterback, but he's not going to be a top-tier quarterback in the league. Yeah. And I think that's part of the reason they went outside Philip Rivers this offseason. Oh, yeah. um, granted, I don't think he's the answer either, but maybe Jacoby Brissett can learn a little bit from him this year, yeah. sit behind, watch, study him, um, and then come out uh, two years from now and then really take over and be that guy. Yeah, Jacoby Brissett was pretty pedestrian this year, like you said. Nothing flashy. He wasn't awful, but he wasn't good. You know, he middle of the road. You know, he was sub 3,000. All right, and he only had 18 touchdowns, but six interceptions wasn't bad either. So, you know, he, he was good with what he needed to do. But yeah, you're right, he's serviceable. And Phillip Rivers, he's not the answer either. He's, you know, a gap until they can figure out what they need to do to get the ball rolling and back on track to be the team they once were when they had Peyton Manning behind the helm. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Um, look at the running back situation here. They've got Marlon Mack as their starter. He rests for 1,091 yards um, and eight touchdowns. <laughs> Um, behind him, the second leading rusher was Jacoby Brissett uh, with 228 and four touchdowns. Um, so, I mean, not an awful year for Marlon Mack either. I mean, over a thousand yards. I mean, that's kind of the goal. Yeah. The NFL running backs, you want to you want to hit that thousand that's yard mark. The um, golden standard now, basically. You want to have a thousand yard back because that's that's like the the bar of what every running back should strive for each season. Right. Yeah. I mean, he did that. Um, he's not. Nowhere near the best running back in the league, but he's certainly not the worst. I mean, yeah. he's a middle-tier guy. Uh, he gets the job done. He does. You know? you know, he's not going to get that huge contract, but he's going to be around for a long time. So You look at his yards per carry, 4.4. So basically, he gets his four yards in a cloud of dust. That's that's what you need to get the, the first down on the run. Because if you're getting four yards every carry, every third down, you're getting that first. You know, so that's that's good. He's getting, he's getting the job done when he needs to. All right, let's go down and look at the receivers. So, T.Y. Hilton. 45 catches for 501 yards on five touchdowns. That is very unlike T.Y. Hilton. Yeah, especially that being their highest uh, receptions, yards, and touchdowns for any other receivers. Now, they did have a ton of injuries at that receiver position. Um, like, they drafted Paris Campbell in the second round out of Ohio State last year, and I believe he only played three games, mm-hmm. three, four games. Um, um, he was hurt the rest of the season, in and out. I mean, he was hurt here, came back for a game, got hurt again, you know, in and out. So that didn't help. And they had a ton of other guys that were hurt. Um, and then, like, uh, you look at Eric Ebron, their starting tight end. Um, he only had 31 catches uh, for 375 yards. And then Jack Doyle, being their other tight end, did a little better with 448 yards and four touchdowns. So definitely need some help on that receiving end. But I know in the draft they did help, um, well, I guess now Philip Rivers, by getting him some more weapons, which we'll touch on later. Yeah. Um, you move on down to their defense. Their leading tackler was Anthony Walker with 124 tackles. Um, second leading tackler was Darius Leonard with 121. So like we were saying before, you want to have at least two guys over that 100. Yeah, the triple, the triple digits. They hand. did. They did, for sure. Then you look going down, uh, next leading tackler was uh, 
Kahari Wills, the rookie safety out of Michigan State, was 71. Um, and then Rocky Sin, the other, the rookie corner, was their third leading or fourth, excuse me, with 62. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, pretty decent uh, for the rookies there to be third and fourth on the team. Granted, you'd like to see one other guy be up in the 80s there, but. I mean, overall, their defense didn't play that bad this yeah, year. Yeah, it really wasn't very bad, you know, but it wasn't very good. Great, you know, they were 7-9. They weren't god-awful. They had a good the defense that was there. There's just a little little pieces here and there that are missing. All right, and, you know, they can get back to it. you got to remember, their whole receiving core basically went down, so they lost um, Hilton for six games. And like you said, Paris Campbell got injured. And everybody, they had to keep finding ways to plug people in. So you're missing your key guys. You're going to slip behind a little bit. So they're not an awful team. Hopefully, Philip Rivers fills in that, that quarterback spot and can help all the guys around him. That's a very young defense right there. You just said the rookies were you know, three and four. Those guys are going to step up, hopefully, and bring those numbers up or play the defensive position better to convert maybe some of their numbers into interceptions. You know? Yeah, well, I mean, look at the interceptions. They had 15 total as a team, so they almost averaged one a game, which is pretty good. I yeah. mean, to count on your defense for one turnover a game. Um, their leading interception getter was Darius Leonard with five. Uh, Pierre Desir had three. Malik Hooker had two. And then from then on, it's just a few guys that had one. But, I mean, overall, that's not too bad. I mean, Darius Leonard having five, uh, one touchdown with an 80-yard return. Yeah. I mean, that, that's I, always nice. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a good thing right there. And you're getting defensive stops and defensive touchdowns. It's a beautiful day. Yep, it is. It is. So now if we go down, we'll take a look at their off-season moves. All right, so we already touched on Phillip Rivers. Um, obviously, their big signing at quarterback. Um, they lost Eric Ebron to the Steelers, I believe. And for the draft, they didn't have a first-round pick. They had two seconds. They took wide receiver Michael Pittman out of USC. Uh, and then with their other second-round pick, they took running back Jonathan Taylor out of Wisconsin. So there was two big picks on the offense. Now this Michael Pittman guy, uh, wide receiver out of USC, I really like him. I think he can turn into that future number one receiver, but for the time being, that number two beside T.Y. Hilton. Yeah. Um, he's an, definitely an X or a, a Z. And with uh, Paris Campbell, if he continues to develop in that slot, um, they can have a pretty nice receiving core down there. And then you've got the running back, Jonathan Taylor, to come in and supplement Marlon Mack. Um, possibly take over as that number one guy, but definitely be type of a uh, one-two punch type of deal in the backfield there. That, that's a beautiful thing. You got two guys who you can split the load between, and you know that if one guy goes down, you already know what you got in your your first guy, Mac. But then they have a guy like Taylor coming in behind him, or jump ahead of him on the depth chart. So still, you got that one-two punch, and or you could do what the Browns were doing and put you know they put Kareem and Chubb uh, on the field at the same time. You do the same thing there. Now you you got an infinite number of options with an RPO or, you know, have one guy block and the other guy run or one guy receive and the other guy block. Or, you know, there's a million different things you do when you got two good running backs in the backfield at the same time. Because now you're sitting there thinking, who do I worry about? And let's not forget, even though Brissett's a a little bit bigger of a quarterback size-wise, he still has some legs too with over 200 yards rushing this year. So it almost turns into a three-headed monster. Now he's not as deadly as Lamar Jackson who's got – you know, the speed of a god himself, basically. But anyways, with that, you know, you, you got three different guys you got to worry about with the RPO, handoff here, handoff there, maybe a little trickery, maybe handoff to the running back, and then a, a halfback pass or something to the other guy. you got a million options you can do when you got two good running backs in the backfield. 
Exactly. And then their third round or yeah, third round pick <laughs> was a safety, Julian Blackman out of Utah, which is a little interesting to me. Um, uh, definitely a solid pick, a great player, but they've got Malik Hookers in that free safety spot solidified. And Kahari Wills, the strong safety they drafted last year at Michigan State, had a pretty decent season. So the fact that they would reach uh, here in the third round to get Julian Blackman was a little interesting, but I mean, definitely probably the best player on the board at the time. So uh, you could see why they did it there. I could see why. And also, Malik Hooker's been injured twice in you know the last two years. That so that's the thing. You just want to get a guy to back him up or push him in competition to get him better. Or you can have somebody who's that defensive guy who could play. You know, nickel, dime, safety, you know, maybe use them in a, a deep coverage scenario where you're, you're playing with, you know, eight DBs and three three tackle or you know, three linemen or your seven DBs, one linebacker, and your three your three down men, you know what I mean? So maybe they'll get something like that. We're not the coaching staff, but like you said, he was definitely the best man available at that time in a position that may have been a need that we just don't know about. That, that's a good point you make there. And then, the fourth round, they took Jacob Eason, quarterback out of Washington. And could this be the potential heir to Philip Rivers slash Jacoby Brissett in the future? I don't know. Maybe. He's definitely got the arm strength and the potential. It's just whether he can put it all together. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when you're that far down on the board, you're not considered a bad quarterback. But at the same time, you're, you're not fully developmental either. It just means that. You, you fell deep enough because you weren't one of them glamorous superstars like Burrow or uh, Herbert, something like that. But you're serviceable, you're good enough to play in the NFL. And, you know, within a couple of years, he might be the heir to the throne. We never know. Yep, he definitely just needs a little bit of time to develop. And they went offensive line, uh, Danny Pinter. And then after that, they took a defensive tackle out of Penn State. So that there, there will give him a little defensive line help. Um, then from then on, they took a cornerback out of UMass, a, def- a developmental project. I saw a little film of him at, um, I think it was the East-West Shrine game. Mm-hmm. Um, and he didn't look bad. He got beat a little bit. He's a little undersized, a little slower, but he had the grit and the physicality um, to play the position. So yeah. maybe a special teamer, uh, excuse me, special teamer there. Yeah. And then uh, wide receiver Desmond Patton out of Washington State. I thought this guy would go a lot higher. Yeah. Uh, maybe not a lot higher, but I could. Could have saw him going in round four, actually, just because of his size. Um, he's really similar to who we just talked about, Colin Johnson. Um, goes up and gets those 50-50 balls downfield. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely adds another weapon there um, to put alongside Michael Pittman, um, T.Y. Hilton, Harris yeah. Campbell, all those or guys. Push on the shove, you know, there's always that potential for a return man or a spot on special teams as a you know, a blocker or tackle or something like that. You know, a lot of people start off with special teams, show they got the grit and tenacity. And then in the practice field and stuff like that, they show that, hey, they have what it takes to move up on the depth chart a little bit or there's an injury where they're forced to show up and shine. And this this is that that type of guy right there. He's not the you – know, when you're that low in, in the draft, you're not going to be that guy who's going to be coming out and going flying up on the depth chart. So now it's time to move on to the good old Tennessee Titans also known as the former Houston Oilers, Shazam. The Tennessee Titans quarterback this year was Ryan Tannehill. Um, from the majority of the season, Marcus Mariota did start, um, but went 2-4 and four in the first six games, got benched for Ryan Tannehill, and we know where he ended up taking him all the way to the conference championship game. You know, that's what blows my mind, though, is down in Miami, everyone talks so much trash about Tannehill. He wasn't a good quarterback and everything else, this and that. And he goes to Tennessee, 
And out of the blue, he's he's a serviceable, if not good, quarterback. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely not the best passer, but he's a leader. Yeah. And he seemed to rally that team better than in Tennessee than he could in Miami. I, um, I'm wondering if maybe Miami just wasn't the right fit, and that's our coaching staff, not the right. If you remember, too, a lot of people are bailing ship down there in Florida. So that says a lot about the coaching staff. I mean, Minka Fitzpatrick wanted out, and a lot of other guys are in the locker room talked about the, the culture there and how it just wasn't right, and a lot of players didn't get along with the coaching staff. So maybe that's what it was with Tannehill. Everybody said he had a little bit of an attitude himself, but, I mean, we have a lot of people talking crap about you. You know, He moved on to a different change of scenery. Right. You know, they say change of scenery is the one thing that gets a lot of people uh, to perform well again. Maybe that's what he needed. Maybe Florida was never the right spot for him down there in Miami. Exactly. You know, when you look at it, he threw for 2,742 yards with 22 touchdowns, only six interceptions. Um, so that's pretty good stats there um, for missing six games. So, I mean, you could say that really, I mean, he had a decent passing year. Uh, I mean, I don't know. What do you think on that? Um. In the same boat as you, you know, for not starting, coming in as lazy did, all right, and having that, you know, over almost 3,000 yards, like we said, you know, sub 3,000 is not really good, but he didn't start. He did come in until what you said, the sixth or seventh game? Yeah, I believe the uh, uh, seventh game he started. Yeah. He came in in the sixth. Yeah, he came in, in the sixth and started in the seventh. All right, and for him to, you know, make, get almost 3,000 yards, and he had 22. Uh, touchdowns and only six interceptions. That's not bad. I'm I'm actually you know proud for the man. And, you know he's not very 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 fast, but he also had some wheels too. Right. Yeah. You look at the rushing stats from there. Derrick Henry rushed for 1,540 yards with 16 touchdowns. We all know he was the NFL leader in um, rushing yards. Should have been Nick Chubb, but he wasn't utilized right in the last two games of the season, so he went way down. And like I said earlier. Um, when it comes to you know, carries by most running backs, you want to see the upper 200s, if not 300. And that's what happened here with Derrick Henry. 303 attempts. Tell me that's not a bell back right there, dude. Yeah, especially in the playoffs. He Nothing against Tannehill, but he definitely carried them through that three-game run they had. I mean, 16 touchdowns? Yeah, that's a lot. That's, that's nice for a running back. Very, very well oriented and uh, well used in the red zone too. Yeah, and you look at their their second running back, Deion Lewis only had 209 yards, so it shows you they leaned really heavily on Derrick Henry to take most of the load back there. Yeah, when when Lewis was utilized, he was more of a third down blocking back, and he was an out of the backfield guy. Uh, he when he was here in Cleveland before he broke his leg, uh, he, he was that was going to be his role for the Browns. So that's that's the same thing Lewis does as well. Yeah, and then you go down to the receivers. Their leading receiver receiver was uh, rookie A.J. Brown um, out of Ole Miss. He had 1,051 yards with eight touchdowns. Um, a 91-yarder, though. That's beautiful. It is. And, and for a rookie to put up 1,000 yards, give you eight touchdowns, I mean, that's a pretty pretty good draft pick, pretty good payoff. Uh, he had over 1,000 yards on only 52 catches. That's impressive. Yeah, 20, 20 yards of reception. That's you know, he's a deep threat there. Oh, yeah. Either that or he's got the moves where people just can't get him. You know, a little shake and bake, go, or like Odell's good at. That little uh, inside seam slant, catch and go. You get something like that, man, you're gone. It's, that's what this little this guy's looking like right here. You know, a little speedster or he, he's got the moves to keep you from getting 
Yeah, definitely going to take over as that number one receiver. And, you know, coming into the year, Corey Davis was that guy. He only had 100, or excuse me, 601 yards um, and four touch, or excuse me, two touchdowns. Yeah. Um, so definitely had a little down year there. But, you know, with A.J. Brown on the other side, he didn't need to have a great year. Exactly. So, you know, that's, that's a good compliment right there. So we both know that Davis is good, but, you know, Brown's good too. So what might end up happening next is um, – you know, people are going to be more focused on Brown now. They got some film on him and what he is. So if they're they're going to have to double team him or do some type of adjustment, that's going to open up Davis again for some more more looks, some more, um, you know, more looks, more more targets, stuff of that nature. Exactly. Yeah. You look at their uh, um, leading tackler. Their leading tackler was Logan Ryan, a defensive back. Yeah, it's 113, and their next leading tackler was Rashad Evans. With 111, granted he's a linebacker, so not too bad for a linebacker. But your your corner should not have 113 tackles. No, and then they're next, but they got three guys in the hundreds, so that's not bad either. You know, and that's maybe part of the scheme they ran to Logan Ryan having that many tackles because they were pretty solid on defense all year. I mean, so you know, you look at a, him having that many tackles. Yeah, that's a lot for a corner, but. They were in press coverage a lot, you know, running corner safety blitzes, um, stacking the box heavy. So in that situation, you know, the corner will have a few more tackles yeah. um, coming I mean, in like that. So he also had four and a half sacks too, which is quite a bit for a DB. Right. So maybe not a knock necessarily on the defensive line and linebackers um, or more, more of just a uh, – Pro on him, you know. Kudos to him. Yeah, you know, it, it's whatever. I mean, he he put in the work. The dude definitely showed that he can make these tackles. So we either they're stacking the box or, or you know he was keeping them very short um, catches and he's just hitting right off the rip or he's breaking free and making tackles in the open field on a, a running back or the case would be or blitz and who knows. But you know, with a DB of that many tackles. Pretty impressive. It is, yeah. And you look, Logan Ryan had four interceptions. Kevin Byard had five. Um, that's pretty good for the safety there to have five, cornered up four. I mean, that's not the best we've ever seen, but, I mean, it's certainly pretty decent. Yeah, it's, it's always nice to see that your, your corners and safeties are putting in the work nine between the two of them. That's always nice. It is, yep. All right, so now we're going to take a look at what they did this offseason. With the first pick, they took... Isaiah Wilson, uh, offensive tackle out of Georgia. Now, a lot of people thought he might slide to the second. Um, he was definitely the, I, I hate to say worst offensive lineman taken in the first round, but I guess that's the term I'm going to use here because um, he's certainly not a bad player. Uh, more of a run blocker than pass blocker, um, but I think I think that fits their scheme right now with Tannehill uh, being the quarterback and uh, Derrick Henry being the powerhouse he is. Gave him a little more uh, – Edge blocking there. In the second round, they went with Christian Fulton, cornerback out of LSU, which I think was a big need. Um, someone to put beside Logan Ryan back there that they can count on. Um, so, what I'd like to, uh, excuse me, I'm excited to see what he's going to turn into. In the third round, they took a running back, uh, Darianton Evans, out of Appalachian State. This guy was kind of under, um, under the radar. Yeah, the under the radar type of guy. I mean, he's. Got the size, the speed, the athleticism to play in the NFL, just being at Appalachian State, you know, didn't play against the toughest competition all the time. But with the players around him, he was uh, excelling for sure in that division. I mean, we could throw out some outliers here. I mean, when you think about it, 
the, the MAC, you know, that has Kent State, Akron, and all those Division One schools that are in the mid-level. You know, back five, six years ago, they produced Khalil Mack out of Buffalo and Eric Fisher out of Central Michigan. So coming from a small college doesn't usually mean anything because there's not quote-unquote competition. I mean, Khalil Mack turned out to be a beast. He's now the highest-paid linebacker in the NFL. Right. Eric Fisher has been a solid left tackle out there in Kansas City for the last six years he's been in the league. A couple of injuries here and there, but the dude has been there for as long as he's been in the league, if, as long as he wasn't injured. So small, smaller division, less competition maybe, doesn't mean the player is any less valuable. Right, and I think he can come in and compliment Derrick Henry really nice. Um, in the fifth round, they took – Laurel Murchison, a defensive tackle at NC State. I'm not going to uh, lie. I don't really know too much about him. Um, but I did hear that he was maybe a little undersized for the defensive tackle position, but yet a little too slow to play defensive end. So it's going to be interesting to see what they can do with him. I'm sure they've got a plan or else they wouldn't have taken him. Yeah, I mean, maybe he, he might be undersized or under speed, but maybe he's got a finesse that we don't know about. He's got that, that move as a guard that he can make that inside move. You know, to split the center and the guard, or you know, go between the guard and the tackle, and and maybe he's just a, you know, big enough to do something. We don't know. So they they know something about it that we don't, and we're going to see it this upcoming season on film. In the seventh round, they took quarterback Cole McDonald out of Hawaii. Now I don't know if you know much about this guy, George. Um, I watched a little bit on him in the Senior Bowl. Yeah. Um, kind of surprised me. I mean, he wasn't. He's not a starting level quarterback right now, and I don't think he ever will be. But I think he might be able to turn it into a serviceable backup in this league. I mean, he's definitely got some decent potential. He's got the mechanics, um, the arm strength, to uh, at least put in some uh, meaningful mounds in this league. So you think he's going to start off on a practice squad somewhere? Um, this year, yeah, I could see him being on the practice squad. They didn't. I'm pretty sure Marcus Mariota is still on the team. Yeah, he is. As far as I'm concerned. I thought, I thought I read somewhere he might have signed a deal with Oakland, but I don't know. I never heard much about chatter about that. I apologize. I didn't look into it. Actually, no, 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 I'm wrong, and you're right. He did go to Vegas. Um, he's more than likely going to be the backup there to Derek Carr. But, you know, people claim that Gruden doesn't like Carr. We don't know. We're not in the locker room. We don't see what's going on behind closed doors. So maybe there will be a competition for Marcus Mariota to take over. And, like, the same thing with Tannehill, change the scenery. Maybe that's all it is, you know. I'm not saying Brable's a bad coach, but maybe that's what Marcus Mariota needed was a change of scenery or – you know, somebody that could work with him better as a, a player because we look at it, Henry ended up becoming a, a very, very reliant back, and that's what they did. It went to a running game a lot. I mean, don't get me wrong, um, Tannehill had a good amount of yards, but maybe they become a more of a run-oriented team. And with that happening, Mariota just wasn't suited for that team no more, and maybe he'll flourish better in Vegas as a backup and maybe a starter. Who knows? Yeah, so with that being said, maybe Cole McDonald does take that backup job. It's what we can find out. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of guys that start off on a practice squad and they end up getting promoted or picked up by another team. So, I mean, shoot, uh, the David Blau from the Browns ended up making his way off and was traded to uh, the Detroit Lions and actually played a game or two behind Stafford when he went out with that back injury. So, you never know. I mean, Blau wasn't phenomenal, but he was good enough to get the job done. So, What's going to happen with these guys? We don't know. With that being said, we're going to go on down to Houston. All right, so now we're down in Houston. We're going to start with their quarterback, Deshaun Watson. He threw for 3,852 yards with 26 touchdowns and 12 interceptions. Um, not too bad of a year for him. I mean, 
there were definitely games where he looked like he was the best quarterback in the league. I mean, there was he was up there at Patrick Mahomes level, and then there were times where you were just like, oh, my, who is this guy? Um, so he had a pretty inconsistent year, but given that, he still had a decent amount of yards, um, an average amount of touchdowns, um, and I'd say also an average amount of interceptions. Um, so finished out pretty average, but definitely shy at times. So there's definitely potential and excitement for the future with him. Yeah, that's a very true statement indeed. And then if we go on down to their running backs, you've got Carlos Hyde was their leading rusher. He had 1,070 yards with six touchdowns. Look, they traded for uh, Duke Johnson um, in the preseason, I believe, uh, maybe right before the season started. Yeah, one of those two, which was nice because um, he ended up becoming a third-round pick for the Browns. He did, and that was a good trade-off for them because he only rushed 410 yards and two touchdowns, which, I mean, given is a terrible 410 yards, it's pretty good um, for a backup. Um, well, you got to remember, too, I don't know how much you paid attention to him in Cleveland. He wasn't a running back, per se, as much as a receiver. You know, He was able to catch and move out of the backfield very well. And we, we call him Juke Johnson sometimes because the dude could just shake and bake and get the hell out of the way. Right, and then they're – Deshaun, uh, they had Deshaun Watson, who actually rushed for 413 yards and seven touchdowns. So he was the leading rushing touchdown um, getter down there. So definitely a running threat that he has to his game. And then you uh, take a look at their receiving leaders. They had DeAndre Hopkins with 104 receptions, 1,165 yards and seven touchdowns. So that's really good yeah. uh, year for him. You, you definitely has been very, very steady over the past couple of years. And then, you know, to see Will Fuller come up. And he wasn't phenomenal, but he was good enough to be that serviceable number two guy with 670 yards. Um, and then, you know, I'm going to go down here real quick to make my point about Duke Johnson. 44 receptions, which goes on to be the sec- or the third most behind Fuller and Hopkins. All right, so as I made that point earlier, he is definitely catching out of the backfield a lot and making things happen. Because he also had three receiving touchdowns to go along with his uh, three rushing touchdowns, or his two rushing touchdowns, excuse me. Right, yeah. Definitely so a dual threat receiver uh, running back. Exactly. Now you look at their defense here, you've got uh, Zach Cunningham. He had 142 tackles. That dude was stacking bodies. That's that's quite a bit. That's a really good year. Yeah. Um, yeah 99 solos, so almost had three triple-digit solo tackles, which is outstanding uh, for a defensive player. And then you look at uh, their next leading tackler was uh, Benedict McKinney with 101 tackles. Um, and then third was uh, Justin Reed with 78. Which is safety. I mean, in the you know, 70s, 80s, is pretty good for them. And you got to look back at McKinney. He missed two games and still had 101 tackles. So, you know, that shows that his production was there. These linebackers weren't afraid to get up in the box, make stops on the running backs, or go out in coverage and – um, go go over like the middle and cover on the linebacker, or um, excuse me, the tight ends. So they're definitely getting a lot of work done. Yeah, and then you look at their uh, interceptions. Uh, Tayshawn Gibson led the team in three, um, which isn't a whole lot. Um, but if you look, they had 14 total interceptions, and they had a ton of guys getting in on the action there. So they had a lot of uh, um, positives as far as guys getting in front of the ball and intercepting passes, but it didn't seem like one guy could consistently do it on a yeah. um, given basis. So maybe a little little work needs to be done there, but definitely some um, I mean, something, to, something to hang your head or uh, 
uh, hang your hat on. Yeah, hang your hat. All these guys also had a lot of passes deflected too. I mean, some of these guys are up in the double digits for getting their hand on the ball and, and actually you know making the stop. You go back to Gibson, three interceptions. You know that's pedestrian, if not you know getting up there. But at the same time, you know he, he had a, a touchdown too, and he had 105 total return yards. So when he's getting his hand on the ball, he's making things happen. Because he did that in Cleveland a couple times about four years ago. He was a pretty decent – he was an undrafted safety out of Wyoming. So there we go, a smaller college, not very much competition, undrafted. He made things happen for Cleveland, and then he eventually went to Jacksonville, and now he's with the Houston Texans. Yeah, so with that being said, we're going to go ahead and take a look at what they did in the draft. Um, They only selected five players. Um, didn't have a lot of picks, didn't have a first-round pick, and no pick later than the fifth round. Um, so not necessarily a great rebuilding year for them. Um, but they did get some decent players. They got, with the, uh, with the 40th overall pick in the second round, they took Ross Blackluck, uh, defensive lineman out of TCU. Um, he is definitely a needed guy on that defensive line. They lost DJ Reader, um, their defensive tackle, that really shined last few years to the Cincinnati Bengals. So hopefully he can come in and kind of take over that position, fill that gap. Um, they also took an edge rusher in the third round, uh, Jonathan Greener out of Florida. He was a little um, undervalued coming into this draft. He had a really good, um, I, was, I think it was sophomore season. Um, a lot of people thought he was going to be a high pick this year. He didn't have the greatest junior season. Um, that's why he slid to the third. But he's definitely got the size, the athleticism, athleticism and the potential to be a uh, – Good defensive end in this league. Yeah, that's that's a sure thing. Uh, is he going to be a starter there, or is he going to be a backup to somebody? What do you think? Um, I can definitely see him rotating in uh, certain packages for the first couple of years, and then after that, we'll have to see. Yeah. Um, okay. What he turns into, whether he can be that starting guy. Yeah, I, I see him being that rotational guy as well. Maybe you know, like you said, a package deal. Um, whatever he's better at, I see him being more of like a third and long type of guy. He's got the athleticism on the edge. So you're going to want somebody who can get out there and try to really rush the quarterback and put that pressure on that third and long situation. Right. Yeah, and then uh, fourth round they took uh, offensive tackle out of North Carolina. Um, they also took a cornerback out of Penn State, John Reed. Um, yeah. So there's a couple of positions that they um, maybe didn't need a immediate help, but they needed some depth, and yeah, I think I'm, that they got it there with those two guys. The way I look at it, you know, they were first place in their division. Right. There wasn't – there wasn't a whole lot that the team needed to work with, actually. You know, uh, they they obviously felt short, but they had enough around them that whatever they might have needed is what they took care of. So I could see them definitely going back and repeating the same performance, if not getting better. Right. Yeah. And Michael, how you put that there? And then uh, in the fifth round, they took wide receiver Isaiah Coulter out of Rhode Island. Um, I remember this guy a little from the East-West Shrine game, not a lot. I remember hearing his name. Um, I know he had a couple decent catches. Uh, don't know a lot about him, but probably I imagine they're going to try and develop him into be, you know, that fourth, fifth receiver uh, special teamers early on. Um, uh, before we go any further, didn't they trade away? Um, they stole my lightning there. I was, I was, we was getting to that. So, okay. Yeah, I was going to say, so they, they traded him away. He's not going to replace DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, I almost forgot his now, name. But here's the thing. They traded him away for nothing. Exactly. So with him being gone now, why didn't they address that in the draft or in this offseason? The only thing I figure is they are counting on Will Fuller um, to take over that spot. I don't know. I mean, you look, they traded DeAndre Hopkins for 
um, David Johnson and a third round pick, I think, or maybe a third and a fifth, or something like that. And for atrocious, the, the, arguably the best receiver right now in the NFL for a mediocre back and a third and fifth pick. I just I don't know what that management was doing. I mean, I guess that's why they're there, and I'm not. But my oh my, I don't know. We'll see. I, it was terrible, you know. Um, I don't know. I, I let me rephrase this. I know you don't listen to 923 The Fan up in Cleveland. Obviously, it's Cleveland. They're the sports radio show up there every Wednesday at uh, I believe two, two o'clock or no, three o'clock. They have Sean Salisbury, former NFL quarterback. Love the guy. I tweet him. He talks to me all the time. I'm not good friends with him or anything. He's just one of those guys that gets back to his fans. And he's one of the guys who does a morning show in Houston who covers the uh, Texans. And even he said, this is why you don't let a head coach be the GM as well. Because then it makes it seem like there was a conflict somewhere between the player and the coach. And because the coach is also acting as GM, he nixed it. And here's the thing. He doesn't know the value in the market. And for him to just literally give him away for pennies on the dollar, I don't understand why the Pittsburgh Steelers did that to Antonio Brown as he became a cancer in the, in the locker room and there's heads conflicting and beef, and we're not going to get into it. He's a hell of an athlete. Don't get me wrong. I'm not smashing on him. But he needed to grow up a little bit, and hopefully he he does after all the things that may have happened last year. I'm not going to get into the detail. But uh, DeAndre Hopkins was not the same thing as Antonio Brown. He wasn't a cancer. He, he did his work. He did everything. So I don't know, like you said, that's why they're in charge of we're not. Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, I wonder if the Texans will still have that power in that division that they did this year. or. Uh, I mean, because you got to remember, he had what, 400 yards more than Fuller did. Four or 500 yards. Four or 500 more yards. So is Fuller going to be able to make up for that production? All right, and then it's the rest of the guys that move up on the depth chart going to be able to make up for that type of production that Fuller has to make up for. So Fuller's got to come up another 500 yards-ish, and the next guys that don't have to come up. Or, you know, so they're, they're going to have to be nickel and diamond a lot this year, and they're going to be counting their pennies to figure out what they're going to do because I don't see the Titans rescinding at all. I see them being on their tail this year. With that being said, I don't know if the Texans are going to you know, run off with it or not. Yeah, I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah. It'll be exciting to find out. Uh, like we said, that's why they're in charge of we're not. And maybe there's something going on we don't know. But I guess we'll figure that out when Hopkins talks about it. Because, you know, as soon as the offseason ends and uh, the camp starts, people are going to ask, why were you trading? Why did this? Blah, 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 blah. You know, there's going to be two different stories. So there's going to be his story and a coach's story. Yep. Yep, exactly. But it is what it is. So now we're going to go offsides. Adam, uh, for our two minutes for tripping segment of offsides, you brought to light to me that Trevor Bauer accidentally had his phone number leaked on ESPN during a FaceTime call. You want to go in depth on that? Yeah, so basically from what I understand, uh, ESPN was doing some sort of interview with him, chatting with him and whatnot, and they put his phone number up on display for literally the entire world to see, um, his personal number. So that was kind of a little debacle there, but he made a cool game out of it. So what I'm understanding is after he put his phone number up, then he let people call and listen to his voicemail, and there's instructions there on how to win a pair of autographed cleats. So that's kind of cool that he made light of a, a, a stupid situation by ESPN. Of course, the big four-letter network is notorious for you know, screwing things up. Anyways, we won't get into that. So we decided to call the number to see what would happen, and it was disconnected. 
Uh, it was a number from Santa Clara, Mon- or Santa Clara, or Santa Monica, Santa Clara, Santa Clara, California. We all know he's from you know California. He went to UCL for crying out loud. But anyways, we tried it for shits and giggles, and nothing happened. But you know, it's just kind of funny that the whole you know the whole country went nuts over trying to get a hold of Trevor Bauer's number and winning these cleats once he made light of the situation. I don't know. I still think it's kind of funny that you brought it up, Adam. It's uh. It's cool that Trevor is a quirky, goofy guy. You know, he pitched for the Indians for several years, and I was with the Reds. And a lot of people gave him heat over a lot of things. He's a very controversial guy, but he's also a very real, down to earth dude too. Even though he's quirky, so yeah, I, I find it kind of cool. Yeah, it was really cool of him to make light of the situation in that way and try to give something back to the fans. So, yeah. I mean, he's always been known for giving back to the fans, whether it's going out with you know. Uh, people and media. I knew a guy named Matt who he went and flew drones with them. They went and got bangles together or something. They did a couple hours hanging out at a park up in Cleveland. Uh, might I add, that's the same year that he split his finger open and uh, was out for a couple games in the, in the playoffs. However, that drone situation was not the same one that he flew with one of the fans. But, you know, and then he does autograph things before he left Cleveland. He made a video about his memories here when he got traded. Uh, so Trevor Bauer's a good dude. And so now, after doing a little bit of research, you know, earlier in the show, we talked about, um, you know, at the NBA, it was hopeful coming back after a players union meeting of the superstars and other players that wanted in on it. Apparently, um, NBA commissioner Adam Silver thinks that things are going to go well, too. Yeah. So according to Adrian uh, Wojnarowski. Yeah, that's how you say it. Um, he reported that the uh, NBA Board of Governors and Adam Silver had a conversation um, discussing a, a possible return of play this season, and according to him, the conversation went well, and they are both uh, have a great desire and are believe in beliefs that they will resume the season. All right, that's cool. So they doesn't really say when, but I know that they also said they're hoping that 22 of the 30 franchises will have uh, uh, voluntary practices open on Monday. That's pretty cool. So I'm wondering why is only 22 and not 30? Did they say or didn't didn't really say? Didn't say the, the teams. Only thing I can think of for the negative on that is maybe you know there's a few NBA players that did have getting COVID. I wonder if it's I don't remember who and what teams they were, but if it's those eight teams, maybe they're keeping us facility shut down in hopes to mitigate the the spread of COVID. Right. So that's what I'm thinking. It could either be that or just the the teams that play in the areas that were affected bad. You know, the New York teams, California teams. Mm-hmm. Um, highly densely or densely populated areas mm-hmm. to just try and but granted a lot of those guys are you know they're letting the private facilities and everything and like that nature but still you never know how many crazy people are hanging outside or you know hanging on the the keypads to get in coughing on them wiping boogers and everything else so right but at least it's a positive um to take away that they are having talks and they are they do feel good about re- uh, resuming the season um and the fact that the majority of the franchises are starting to open up voluntary practices. So I think the silver lining on that is that the NBA is all for it and the NBA Players Association is all for it. So they're sitting there. Usually you got you know, a conflict in interest or something where they're trying to figure things out or one party wants and one doesn't. But the way you look at it, I mean, there's money on the line, there's entertainment. These guys want to go away and finish the season. They don't want to fall short and nobody earn their championship. And you know? I mean, it sucks for the American Hockey League. They did go under finally and decide that they weren't going to go forward with the season. However, they can still do the NHL thing 
and those AHL players can then be called up to the National Hockey League for the, the remainder of the season and then any of the playoffs and stuff of that nature. What I don't know is if they do that, will it affect their waivers or not? So in hockey, just like baseball, you know, um, you get called up a certain number of times. Once you're called up and you're out of waiver exemptions, then you have to go become an unrestricted free agent. If nobody claims you off the waiver wire, you can go back to your regularly assigned team. So I don't know if they're going to let that happen here with the AHL. The guys can call up more freely, perhaps. The guys that are no longer waiver exempt. Yeah, I mean, I think that would be the ideal situation. Um, however, I don't know if they'll allow that to happen. I mean, I would think they have to do something, um, but what it'll be is yet to be known. Yeah, there's still a lot of intangibles, and we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. We just say what we read and what, what we think of our possible ideas. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's whatever. It's up in the air, but we're hoping for the best-case scenarios in all different aspects of every sport, regardless of what it is. But to get back on topic, the NBA does have its silver lining where both the NBA, PA, and the NBA want to get this going, just like with the National Hockey League. They want to get their season finished. And baseball, a lot more players have said they wanted to start the season than to sit the season. So that's you know the whole scenario right now. That is basically our slap shots and two minutes for tripping combined. And now we're going to bring you something special. Instead of a hockey rule, we're going to move on to football. We're going to go into one of the more confusing rules, I would say, because you see a quarterback get hit and you hear somebody yell, that's intentional grounding, but then they don't call it, but then sometimes they do. Adam, you want to tell everybody what exactly intentional grounding is? Yeah, so there's a couple things that play into it. So the first thing is that if the quarterback is in the pocket and he throws the ball away, um, throws it out of bounds or even into the ground, um, if there is a receiver in the area, there is no penalty. However, if there is no receiver in the area, it is an automatic 15-yard penalty um, because he's intentionally getting rid of the ball to avoid a sack. Now, if the quarterback rolls out of the pocket, all he has to do is get it beyond the line of scrimmage. There doesn't have to be a receiver in the area. As long as the ball travels beyond the line of scrimmage, there is no penalty, which that's what gets a lot of people because they're like, well, there's no receiver in the area. But if the quarterback was out of the pocket, then they will not throw that flag. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. So he's got to be getting tackled in the pocket at that point, being sacked, and then throws the ball? Or is he able to just, you know, if he has a bad pass, are they still going to call it? Um, so a bad pass normally wouldn't because there would be a presumptive receiver in a general vicinity. Um, normally, it, it, every ref, it depends on how they're going to call it. But if, they're, if they deem that the ball was intended to go in the general vicinity of the receiver, then there will not be a flag thrown. But if the quarterback's getting sacked, um, you know, getting taken down and just wings the ball, and it goes into the middle of nowhere, that's an automatic 15-yard penalty. Uh, excuse me. Uh, because he's trying to avoid a sack, pretty much. Your voice is breaking on me in the middle of a podcast, man. I know. you got to quit yelling during Call of Duty. Right, I get it. This hard. is direction, description. You're doing your 3Ds. You're calling it out. Your back's probably hurting today from carrying the team. Am I right? Oh, hey, we got a dub today already, so carrying the team. I don't know what the hell that means, but you know what? Apparently, Adam and the boys are doing a hell of a good job over here today. So You don't know what a dub means? I mean, I know what a dub is. You know, like dubstep. No, like a dub, you will win. Oh, well, a, a dub, man. There's like a dillion, There's like a dubstep. There's like you're no, dubbing no, over a scene. No. There's, learn, I've never, learn the lingo, you I am man. 27. You're like 20. 
21. Oh, I forgot you just turned 21. Oh my god, little Adam's growing up. So anyways, I knew what Dub was, okay? Quit, quit hating on me. Uh, just because I'm old don't mean I'm out on No, nope, I'm a hate. <sighs> this, these young bloods over here, shoot. Alright everybody, it's that time to show. Time to call on the Zamboni driver and clean off the ice. But first, we're going to give our shout-outs. Kid Squabs on the music. Check them out. K-I-D-S-Q-A-B-Z. And then my good friend, Drew Valori for the cover art of the show. Uh, check them out at endlesscoverart.com. If you or anybody you know needs cover art done for an album, book, or movie, go there and check them out. He's got pre-made and he does customs. Alright? And again... If you can't be on the ice, make sure your beer is. Stay safe and have a great week, everybody. Hey, and if you can't put your beer on the ice, as long as the bodies you're slaying in Call of Duty are on the ice, you're good to go. That was a little morbid, but I like it. Hey, whatever works. I mean, you're getting the dubs, right? Just roll with it. You're getting the dubs, right? Getting the dubs. Then it works, bro.